Oh crap. This is gonna Blog Talk Radio. And as always, my quote-unquote best tag team partner and co-host, David Gomez, a.k.a. D.G., a.k.a. Let's get the show on the road, sir. Sir, you may not be the best, but you're just as good. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I appreciate that, considering uh, the guests that we have this evening. That's quite a compliment. Yeah, and we got a lot of things to talk about between wrestling, Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants. But before we get underway, let's give out the contact information, sir. Folks, as always, if you'd like to be a part of the show, if you'd like to speak with us or even our guests, 714-364-4721. Once again, that number is 714-364-4721. Check out our website at puregoldpg.com, where you can check us out on Facebook, Check out our old YouTube episodes, and of course, you can check us out on Twitter. And now that I have my own Twitter separate from the show, unbelievable. Things are about to get interesting in the land of pure gold. Thanks, DG. I mean, yeah, I, I guess the heel turn is in full effect, but uh, we do have absolutely a, we do have a lot of things to talk about. The month of August is here, and we have a lot of guests coming up. So, who's our first guest for the month of August, sir? Folks, we are very excited to have you joining us, columnist. For Newsday, we have the one and only, the best sports writer out there, folks, Neil Best joining us this evening. Neil, how are you doing today, sir? Good, how are you? Well, best sports writer out there. I guess that works with the name. I don't know about the rest of it, but <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take it. Well, you know, it's such a, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my wife about it earlier today, and she goes, so who do you guys have on the show? I said, uh, Neil Best. She goes, no, really, what's the name? I said, no. <laughs> that's his last name, Neil Best, for real. So she, uh, you know, she got to get out of that. It's easy um, to spell, at least, so that's good. Of course. I'm sure that throughout your uh, illustrious career, you've gotten uh, more than a few comments about the last name. Yeah, no, it's it's all good. Well, it's all it's all, all the best, I guess. Exactly. Oh, of course. Now, speaking of the best, Neil, let's get right down to business here. Okay. Let's talk about what's on everybody's mind what is probably the biggest news in the sports world right now. From what I hear, you are quite the softball player. Is there any truth to these rumors, sir? Um, I'm having a good year for a 50-year-old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I play a couple of times a week, and um, I talk too much about it on Twitter and Facebook. But, uh, yeah, I'm actually hitting the ball well after being horrible all last year, so I'm proud of myself. Well, yeah, since we do follow you on Twitter, I saw you made the comment, and I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, you're going to the batting cages or something, and you're tearing the cover off the ball, but uh, 
What do you mean, like a softball league of some sort? Yeah, I have a regular uh, open league I've been in for 12 years. We're playing, you know, people of all ages. It's an unlimited arc league. And then um, I just became eligible for the 50 and over league, so that's my new thing. At least I'm the young stud there. I'm an old old guy in one league and a young guy in the other league. But, I, you know, it, I just like keep you know playing. It keeps me, uh, you know, with my job, there's a lot of TV and watching and radio listening and sitting sitting around. So i got to get some excuse to, to run around a little bit. Neil, I think that you should uh, get in touch with Evan Roberts and start up uh, Twitter baseball versus Twitter softball. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had uh, we had Evan on our show. He was actually one of our first guests uh, several months ago. And, you know, Joe and I, like I said, we follow him on Twitter as well, and he mentioned Twitter baseball. We had no clue what it was, but right. apparently it's a league where they just communicate through Twitter and guys get together at a specific place and they all just play baseball on, like, on a Sunday or a Saturday. Yeah, that, that that sounds like fun actually. Um uh I haven't played hard is this hardball I haven't played hardball in uh about thirty years, so <laughs> that'd be a little scary for me at this point. <laughs> well, you know, maybe they'll make an exception for you and pitch a softball too. Yeah. But uh <laughs> sorry, Neil, on a on a serious note here, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what got you into writing in the first place? Well, I mean, mostly I didn't have any other marketable skills. I mean, I I, um, I always liked sports. I was always a pretty good writer, and I sort of needed a job after college. And my I started part-time at Newsday originally. My only, the only full-time job I've ever had other than Newsday was in Anchorage, Alaska. That was my first full-time job. And I did that for a couple of years, and I came back to Newsday, and I've been there for 26 years now. So, um you know, it's it's. I never really figured out any other thing to do, so I sort of did it by default, and I got no complaints. It's been pretty good. Neil, can you share some differences, you know, between being a beat writer for New York Giants versus being a columnist for Newsday? Um, you know, yeah, you know, the beat writer job was a great job. Covering football is great compared to like baseball in terms of your lifestyle. You could actually have a normal life when you cover football, and I liked it for ten years. The only problem with being a beat writer is well, one problem is after a while. You know, you you feel like you're sort of just changing the names and the numbers and everything becomes a little bit the same after a while because you're just, you know, you're covering games and teams and stuff. Um, The great thing about, and also with, you know, eight beat writers covering the Giants, it was hard to do beat that different. You know, some days everybody's writing the same thing. What I'm doing now, you know, it's much um, much more varied. Uh, not only in the stuff I do, but even like my competitors at the other papers who do it are all—we're all going off in completely different directions. And one of the good things about covering the media and the media stuff primarily for the last six years is, with what's in this era, you know, it, uh, let's put it this way: when I started on the beat in the fall of '05, I think YouTube was a few months old, Twitter didn't exist, you know, Facebook was still primarily just on college campuses. Right. I mean, there was no video streaming of anything. I mean, just in the six years I've done this, everything has changed. So that, that's that been kind of cool to, to follow. That's really cool. Now, I guess one of the biggest, you know, biggest sports news of the day was yesterday being, you know, the Long Island, uh, the Nassau vote, as you will, being, yeah. uh, and the Islanders, you know, didn't get what they wanted. Uh, what do you think their next step is going to be? Yeah, that's a good question. Of course, that's in our in our Newsday world. That's about the biggest story there is right now, certainly in the yeah. Newsday sports. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I certainly don't think this is the end of the road, and the Islanders are definitely leaving now. However, they got to come up with some pretty good plan B here, and I think 
even if Charles Long finally just throws up his hands and gives up and decides to sell the team, there are good reasons for somebody to keep this thing on Long Island because it's obviously a large affluent population. And even and, and just as importantly, they have an incredibly lucrative uh, TV deal with Cablevision that runs through like 2032 or something. So without that, the team would have left years ago. That's that's a huge financial incentive for somebody to keep this thing going. And I, 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 like I said, I, I don't think it's over. But I mean, we are getting close to 20. You know, 2015 is not that far away, considering the fact that you know obviously no one's put a shovel in the ground for a new arena. So. Right. Yesterday was a big setback for the Islanders. Now, do you think, though, I mean, for such a poor turnout in terms of voting, do you think the weather had something to do with it, or just people don't really care? Yeah, well, they knew, well, partly it was by design to even schedule it on a Monday in August. They knew they were going to have a low turnout as opposed to, you know, sticking on the ballot on Election Day in November. But when they had these huge thunderstorms coming through Nassau County, like right in rush hour, or right before right. rush hour, obviously that knocked down the turnout even more, so I that's the interesting question is how representative of the way people feel was this vote? I don't know. There's no way to answer that question, really, when you have that small of a turnout. But, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, if you have an election and people get a chance to vote, you know, the, the people who show up get to have the say. You think there's uh, any chance that there may be another vote for this? Or it's just, like you said, done by design so nobody really supports it? And well, that's it. I don't think there'll be another vote on this exact thing because again this you know the the people have spoken in terms of this particular offer but i think now the county wants to try to you know maybe get private investors for the land or the arena and just kind of go the private route instead of the public route the question is what role would charles wong play in that or will he just like i said just kind of say okay i've had enough it's time to just sell this thing um everything's certainly up in the air right now let's put it that way have you got any feedback from the Newsday audience, being that you guys are based out of Long Island? Have you heard anything maybe from your fellow writers as far as uh, how the Islander fan might feel about this? Uh, well, I think the Islander, the hardcore Islander fans are frustrated because they know that it could be you know, their first step out the door. Uh, it's an extremely passionate topic because obviously the subject of taxes is a very sensitive issue. I mean, on our website, which, you know, it has a paywall on it, so there's a limited number of people with access to this website in the first place, and yet the article, the main article we wrote today about this topic, last time I looked at about 1,350 comments on it, I think, which, you know, which is a huge number for, uh, again, particularly given the fact we have a you know, limited number of people with access to newsman.com yeah. in the first place. So it's an incredibly passionate topic among yeah you got Islanders fans on one side you got people worried about their taxes on another and some of course some of those people are the same people <laughs> so it's a very complicated thing. Yeah, and I guess the frustrating thing as far as if you're an Islander fan, which uh, if I'm not mistaken my partner is, um, yeah the Coliseum is a dump. I mean let's be honest, I've been Absolutely. on some wrestling events and it's it's horrible, but I mean. A little before my time, but the Islanders were a dynasty team in the 70s and, and the early 80s. Oh, 80s, excuse me, sorry. But, uh, you know, I was just in diapers at that time, so I don't really remember properly. But, I mean, the costume has been there. You know, they get their turn on or whatever the case is, but as, as an Islanders fan and somebody on the island, I mean, how much of the tax is really going to go up? Is it the type of thing where they're going to get hosed? If you want the Islanders there or not, or is it just something minor and people are blowing out of proportion? 
Well, I mean, uh, you know, everybody's got different ways of interpreting the numbers. I think it's just for, for some people it's almost just more of a philosophical thing. It's like we don't want a pub, publicly funded arena, period. But, you know, there's there's no question. Obviously, the arena is not not an acceptable modern sports facility. I mean, I tell people all the time, if when I walk in there, I feel like I'm walking into a like a time machine to the mid '70s. I mean, that's what arenas looked when I was looked like when I was a kid. It looks like it literally right. looks like a like, like a museum of a sports arena from the '70s. It's just you know, whereas the Garden, you know, was built in 1968, so it's actually older than the Coliseum, and yet at least they're trying to. Well, of course now they're completely re- renovating it, but even before that, it it didn't look like a dump. It looked you know it didn't look like a state of the art or anything, but it certainly didn't give you that feeling you get when you walk in the arena in the coliseum and you're like oh my god it's 1975 right. so I, I don't know they, they needed obviously they need a new arena or else you can't you cannot continue to have a, a an nhl team playing there but i guess everybody agrees on that <laughs> but the question is how to do it yeah i think it would just be a, such a horrible move and i'm an islander fan i guess i'm biased uh neil but it'd be such a horrible move to move out of new york and long island being that the team was great, you know, many years ago, but they have such a strong fan base. And we know that, you know, in the NHL, like, places like Atlanta just don't succeed, and we saw them move out. So, you know, where to put them is another question, too. So I just think that it's a win-win for the NHL for Long Island if they could just stick stick it out, work out on plan, and just stay in Long Island, I think. Yeah, well, the, the NHL wants them there. The Rangers and Devils want them there. Um and again, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of money there. Now, it's always been a weird dynamic. Even, you know, I grew up as a Rangers fan, but I'm telling you, even even at the the when the Islanders were at their absolute peak, you know, it's kind of like when the Devils won their three Stanley Cups. It's it's a little different because you, you know you're sharing the market with other franchises. You're dealing with the fact that the Rangers have you know are kind of the biggest fan base. So, even at the absolute peak of the Islanders, it was not the same kind of feeling as you would get if you were in a smaller market and you were the only game in town. You know, but yeah, there's there's enough money in people so that there's no reason why there's no reason not to have a successful franchise on Long Island. Right. I mean another team that's moving out of I guess New Jersey into into Brooklyn is like the the New Jersey Nets. I mean, is there you think that's a, a wise business decision or is this just a, a snap decision? Uh, I think the Nets will do well in Brooklyn. I, I, I mean, because they never caught on in Jersey, even when they were really good in '02 and '03. They were never. Again, it's kind of the same thing I was mentioning with the Devils and the Islanders. It's, but, but, but in Brooklyn, they, I think they have a chance to be perceived more as, um, you know, it's not, not necessarily on equal footing with the Knicks, but they will be perceived differently than when they're in the suburbs. So I, I think the Brooklyn thing will work, really. Uh, as far as you know, some people think the Islanders should go down there. Now, I, first of all, the Nets seem kind of lukewarm about that idea in the first place. But I don't think that would work very well if the Islanders in downtown Brooklyn. Um, but but I know I think it'll be great for the Nets. I think it'll just it'll make them a more uh, prominent franchise than they are now. Yeah, and I think because Joe and I have been to games out there, and I'm a Knicks fan. He's a Celtics fan. But we've been to the Rock, and it's a nice arena, but people just don't go. And I understand that the Nets aren't the greatest basketball team on the planet, but when you're passionate about uh, your your team, you know you got to support them. And if they do go to Brooklyn, it would be interesting because Brooklyn is obviously a pretty big market as compared to you know being in downtown Newark or being 
over in uh, you know East Rutherford where nobody was going to those games anyway, even when they were good. But um, you mentioned the thing about possibly going to Brooklyn, and I know you said it's not a good idea, but I was listening to the fans today, Joe and Evan, who were covering for Mike Francesa, they mentioned something about that possibility and that if they did go to Brooklyn, the arena would be the second smallest because the ice uh, capacity would be smaller. So it would be the second smallest in the league. But um, any chance you think something like that might happen? I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen just because, like I said, the, the Nets seem kind of lukewarm about it. The arena, even though they, from what I understand, they technically can 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 accommodate an NHL team. It's not really designed for that. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I don't. I mean, I know the Devils are playing in downtown Newark, but the idea of a hockey team in downtown Brooklyn just seems kind of weird to me. Whereas having it out on Long Island seems like a better fit. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I, th- I do think the Nets will be embraced because you know, Brooklyn's got a lot of people and a lot of money. If you had told me when I was a, a teenager, let's say, or in the 80s, oh, there's going to be an, NH- an NBA team in downtown Brooklyn, that would have sounded really weird, frankly. But Brooklyn has become so much more of a desirable place for people with money to live than it was 30 years ago that I do think that, and it's got such a strong you know, identity, community identity there, separate from Manhattan, uh, you know, I, I do think it could. I do think it'll work for the Nets. Another thing that we saw on your Twitter account, uh, Neil, was that uh, Mike Francesa will be meeting with the New York Jets. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, that just. Uh, yeah, well, I, at least I just found out about it today. Um, yeah, he. Well, you know, he's been <laughs> having an extremely bitter feud with the Jets. Although the Jets say there is no feud from their end, but um, you know, he's been extremely critical of the Jets for a couple of years now, and. When the um, when the Jets contacted FAN and said, "Hey, you want to have a show come out and do a remote from the camp?" and then the FAN's like, "Does that include Mike?" and they say, "Sure." And then Mike said, "Well, I'm only doing it if I get the big guns. If you give me Woody, Mike Tannenbaum, Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez, and Revis, I'll do it." And Francesca was thinking he was calling their bluff, and they weren't going to. They'd say no. Then he just said, "Oh, okay, that's fine." So Mike's like, okay, great, I'll come. So next Thursday, the 11th, he's going out there. Now, Woody Johnson is, might not be in town, so he might not be doing it, but Tannenbaum, R- Ryan, Revis, and Sanchez. Will, and, you know, the really interesting one, of course, will be him and Rex Ryan, because he's been hammering Rex for years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, that interview should be pretty good radio, I guess we'll see. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, it's, uh, both of us are fans of uh, Mike's show. And I've never understood it. I mean, in terms of having the feud, because isn't that his job to give his opinion? I mean, what's his opinion versus someone like my opinion? He has obviously a listening audience, but he's just a guy who has an opinion. So if he doesn't like the way that Rex Ryan runs the team, uh, you know, it's kind of... Well, he obviously has a right to his opinion. The, The problem was that a lot of Jets fans perceived, you know, Probably accurately so that there was it was that Mike you know was his 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 dislike of the Jets you know was 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 driving his opinion as opposed to just his opinions about the team you know and Mike has basically conceded that he you know his opinions were affect you know he he said he's playing he's giving honest opinions but the level of hate he had for that team was definitely affected by the fact that they weren't letting players go on his show. And this all started in the playoffs after the 09 season. Right. They weren't letting their players go on FAN at all, only on 1050. And Mike was furious. 
and uh, he really never forgave them for that. And then even last season, when they kind of loosened it up a little bit and let some of their people go on FAN, Mike was like, he just washed his hands with them and said, well, forget it, I am not. I don't want to be dictated who I can talk to and when. Which is why, you know, which is why this week he said, okay, I'll go to the Jets if you give me everybody I want. And the Jets basically said, okay, we'll give you everybody you want. It's a win-win situation, I think. Once, I mean, once the season starts, I don't think they're going to do that because they have partnerships. With 10, they have a partnership with 1050. Right. Rex Ryan's going to go on 1050, and uh, so I, I think it'll be kind of like what they did last year. There'll be limited appearances on FAN, but they figure in training camp, you know, they want FAN to come out and do a show like we do with the like they do with the Giants. Right. I mean, I know that some of the guys, like, uh, I don't know if it's Darrell Revis. I think it's Darrell Revis who appears on the Joe and Evans show. So, like you said, there might be some limited uh, interaction. But that would be good because, you know, like I said, we're fans of Mike's, and it's always good to listen to the interviews and stuff. And me being a Giants fan, Joe being a Jets fan, I always find those uh, interviews with the players interesting because you never know what they're going to say. You may have guys like uh, Andrew Rowe, for example, who was just saying idiotic things for you know about his team last year. But then you have somebody like Darrell Revis, who's a bit of a smarter football player, who's gonna, you know, more or less watch what he's saying. So it's always interesting to hear those, uh, you know, back and forth on the radio. Yeah, yeah, no, it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I don't. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are gonna want to see a is is Francesca gonna be tough on Rex the way he has been, you know, on, on the air, without you know when Rex isn't sitting next to him, and B, you know how how is Rex gonna be with Mike? I mean, is he gonna just treat him like any other host and answer the questions, or is, there, is he going to kind of like acknowledge the fact that Frances has been hammering him? Yeah, either way, it's going to be great radio. Uh, yeah. Neil, just one, I guess one last business uh, sports question that I have for you. Uh, since you do, you know, you're a business sports writer, just in terms of the Mets and what they're going to be doing in the next couple of years in terms of, you know, cutting salary, can you justify a Met fan buying season tickets the next couple of years knowing that? You know they are not going to be a team that's going to be like the Yankees or like the Red Sox, like the Phillies, spending money trying to win the World Series. Well, that's a good question. I mean, I I think they'll be competitive. I mean, to me, they'll be they can certainly be like they are this year and be you know be an around 500 kind of team. I don't think they're necessarily going to suddenly just be horrible. Um, you know, to me, the more interesting question is the bigger question is buying season tickets at all because. With the way the secondary market is these days, you know, unless you're going to, I mean, you can buy such reasonably priced tickets just when you feel like going. That to me, the incentive to be a season ticket holder is questionable at this point anyway. But yeah, when you're talking about a team like the Mets as opposed to the Yankees, you know, why not just go when you feel like it instead of buying season tickets? So that's a challenge that the Mets face in this environment when people don't perceive them as championship contenders. But on the other hand, I, I mean, I think most Mets fans are happy. There seems to be, you know, grown-ups in charge of that franchise right now, and they're going to get it, you know, they're going to get it all kind of sorted out over the next couple of years, assuming that the Mets' financial situation stabilizes, obviously. I, I don't know. To answer your question, Mets fans are in a tough spot when it comes to deciding how much money to invest in that team, I guess. You're right. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean, us as fans, uh, you were both huge Mets fans, but I've decided to go watch uh, independent minor league baseball and spend my money on that because there's such a – I mean, you can't compare the big league product to the minor league product in terms of the name value. But like, I went to go see the Somerset Patriots, for example, uh, this weekend with my family, 
And I did the math on this. We got the best seats in the house, 12 of us, big group, and we ended up uh, paying like 180 bucks for all the tickets, including parking and everything else. Right. To go to City Field, right, the worst seats in the house, the absolute worst that you can get when you count the tolls coming from New Jersey, when you count the parking for, you know, the enough people, enough cars to fit 12 people, it's like almost $400. And then if you compare the seats, it's over $2,000. So to me, there's just no comparison. You know, I'll go check out a Mets game or two, and but I'd rather go check out some minor league baseball where I'm going to get some bang for my buck and not have to take out a second mortgage on my house to go, uh, you know, watch my team. Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, basically, I agree. Now, you can maybe do a little better than that on the prices on the secondary market for an unattractive game. But, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I don't get it. I mean, I go to these games for my job, and I got season passes for the Mets and the Yankees if I really feel like I have to be at a game. Uh, but I don't the, I don't get the economics. Yeah, I've been to some, some percent Patriots games, and I always think, particularly since my kids aren't, that concern with being at a major league game. We, yeah. I, I loved when they were younger taking them to Somerset Patriots games and thinking of all the money I was saving not being at Yankee Stadium. So I agree. I mean, my, minor league games are an incredibly attractive alternative to me. Now, you know, if you're like a 12-year-old who's a huge baseball fan, you're, you know, obviously you're going to want to go to a big league game as opposed to a minor league game, and you're going to make your parents take you there and that kind of thing. But for, for me, uh if I really have to go see a baseball game, yes, I would rather go to the Somerset Patriots than City Field, absolutely. Or Long and Island Ducks or whatever, yeah. Yeah, exactly, well, the Long Island Ducks, yeah, same league. And you you might even catch some uh, ex-minor leaguers like, uh, you know, Sparky Lyle, who's managing for the the Patriots. And I, there's a couple of ex-Mets on the team. It, not big yeah, when, when, when my daughter was about, I don't know, maybe six or so, she was at a birthday party at the Somerset Patriots, and uh, Ricky Henderson was playing for the Newark Bears. And I said, you know, he was like, you know, 44 or whatever he was. I said, look, when you know, when you're 80 and you tell people that you saw Ricky Henderson play, they're going to think that's, like, really cool because, you know, by then Ricky Henderson will be, you know, 120 or something. So, uh, yeah, you see all kinds of interesting characters pop up in those leagues. Ricky Henderson, I mean, I, I saw him play too, Neil. We're probably at the same game. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but yeah, I did think it was cool to see this guy playing in his minor league because uh, he just you know he just wanted to keep playing. I think he actually after after he was with the Newark Bears, he he went back to the majors again one yeah. more time. I think. Yes, he did. Yep. Yeah, he did. And uh, you know, some of these guys get re-signed; they go back to the big leagues, and guys go scout them and just basically loot and pillage any type of talent that they have. But. I mean, for me, you know, I have a kid on the way, and my wife and I have already discussed how, you know, we could even turn this into a family tradition. So going to the Patriots or, you know, whichever team, again, still going to a Mets game or two. Right. I just justify going to New York and spending all that money knowing that there's like a 70% chance that they're going to end up losing, and I'm going to come back miserable on the ride home anyway. It's it's a very uh, look. I I mean even obviously even if you adjust for inflation, the, the the cost of sports events compared to when I was a kid is just it's just completely insane. I, I don't you know sometimes uh, I mean, baseball is actually still of course the best deal when you compare the. Yeah. I mean some of the prices like you know take the Islanders for example. I mean a bad team in a bad arena, 
and the prices of some of the premium seats are, is just amazing. I, I can't even. I don't know. I don't know how they're selling any of them. <laughs> I just don't get it. Uh, you know, I have yeah. a huge perception of reality because of my job, but um, it amazes me how, how many tickets are sold. Now, the good thing is that when the you know when the Yankees and Mets opened their new stadiums, and when the Jets and Giants started the PSLs and everything, at, finally these teams dealt with the reality that there was a point at which people won't buy tickets. You know, they thought yeah. they could just go up forever. But the price increases with the new stadiums combined with the recession, you know, finally they hit up against a wall and they realized that people do have a limit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I remember listening to that again on the radio where they were talking about it. You know, the Yankees couldn't tell us the seats behind home plate and those are premium seats. But, you know, hopefully the Mets will be able to turn around. Hopefully the Islanders will get their mess straightened out over there on Long Island and your Newsday fans and my co-host will be uh, will be thrilled with that. But, Neil, we really appreciate you coming on the show with us, and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, you enjoy yourself and we'll be able to have you on again in the future when the, uh, the you know, the Islanders announce their new uh, multi-zillion dollar stadium. Right. All right. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Neil. All right, Neil. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Folks, that was the best sports writer in New York, the one and only Neil Best from Newsday every day, Newsday once a week. <laughs> You know, sir, it's, it was definitely. I mean, so many puns we could use. I mean, it could say we could say that it was one of the best interviews. I think Neil did a great job uh, talking about the sports business end of things. We talk a lot of things about sports, but we never really focus on the sports business end. And you know, and from one great sports, I, I, I guess one great sports announcer, or <laughs> I'm reading what my producer's writing on the screen here. I was going to say from one best. Interview to another best co-host of PG. We bring on Mr. TJ Todd Johnstone. Sir, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Hey, we're doing uh, wonderful, Todd. You have a slew of updates. I do have a slew of updates tonight. Uh, let's start with Major League Baseball. We'll do the score rundown really fast. Live uh, and local. Marlins, Mets. Last night, it was Murphy and Izzy who blew it. Tonight, it was Turner and Izzy who blew it. Yes. Marlins win 4-3 over the Mets. Yanks and the uh, Southsiders. Yanks are leading the Southsiders 4-0 in the sixth. Uh, Jays beat the Rays 3-1. Rangers are losing to the Tigers 6-5 in the ninth. Indians are beating the Sox 2-1 in the fifth. Orioles 4-1 over the Royals in the eighth. Twins and the Angels are knotted at zero in the second. A's and the Mariners, same score, same inning. We also have Nats over the Brewers, 9-3. to three. Cubs over the Pirates, 11-6. to six. The Reds and the Strohs, 5-1 to one in the ninth inning. The Cards and the Brewers, Brewers lead the Cards 7-6 in the seventh. Phils are leading the Rockies 4-0 in the seventh. Dodgers, nothing-nothing in the third. D-backs and the Giants, there is no score in the second. DJ? Yes, sir. Sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. We have some technical difficulties. I think it's time I introduce my co host to take over this part. So, JB, you want to introduce your favorite part of the show? Well, yeah, we would do Todd's take, but uh, I want to save all the NFL signings and goings and comings and releases for TJ tonight. So, Todd. Let us know the biggest signings, the biggest moves. What do we got here? The NFL season's here. 
Baseball season is officially over. The Mets suck. Yankees better lose in the playoffs. <laughs> Take it away, sir. Well, let's start with DG's Giants. Uh, they managed to ink uh, Ahmad Bradshaw to a four-year deal, which is good. Uh, David Carr makes his triumphant return with no restructure. What a great move that is. Uh, Michael Clayton, wide receiver, no details. And uh, they're shopping OTM and Yura for a first. I'm offering them a second to the Jets. Uh, Kevin Cobb, this is the move that really sent shockwaves through the whole NFL. Kevin Cobb agreed to a five-year contract extension worth $63.5 million uh, with $21 million in guaranteed money in exchange for Dominique rogers Cromartie. Now, that was the first part of the deal. Okay. Then they managed to sign, the Eagles managed to sign Nandi Asamoa to a five-year deal. And, uh, you know, as, uh, <laughs> as Vince Young is self-proclaiming the Eagles, they are now the, the new dream team. And uh, the only dream I think Vince Young is having is that he's actually going to see any field time. <laughs> what else do we have? Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown is now an Eagle. I'm not sure how I feel about that move. The guy's not a bad running back, but I suppose he's a, a good backup or compliment back to what they have. Right. Albert Hainsworth to the Patriots. Now, this is, a, this is a difficult one for me. First of all, I'm a Patriot hater. Everybody knows that. But, you know, it's a good move in money, in, in like financial talk, because you're getting Albert Hainsworth for a fifth. You know what I mean? For a fifth-round pick in 2013. So he's only costing you $5 million. So, I mean, if if he's not going to work for you, you know, you just cut him. I I understand that. But the way the media is treating this, you would think it's like the second coming. It's just unbelievable. Ocho Cinco is also now a New England Patriot. He agreed to a three-year contract. Um it's not known what the Bengals received in return for him quite yet, but I just don't see him as a fit there. I I just don't see how he's going to fit in. He just is not going to count out to the Patriot way. We all know that. He just can't keep his mouth shut. He is everything that is fun about the NFL, and the Patriots are everything that is not fun about the NFL. All right, so the guy's a great receiver, but I just don't see him as a good fit there at all. Um, Matt White re-signed his deal. Thank goodness for them, because without Matt White, that line is done. So $12 million with $7 million guaranteed for two years. It's not a bad deal. It's a good deal for him. It's a good deal for the Patriots while they're still trying to find his replacement. The Dolphins completed a trade for Reggie Bush. They agreed to a two-year contract for nearly $10 million. This move, I think, is idiotic. Reggie Bush has already shown us that he can't shoulder the load. And the and the Dolphins are going to pay him ten million dollars to be their feature back. You're right. From a Jet fan, from a Jet fan point of view, go ahead, sign them all. Sign sign more Reggie Bushes. I I could care less. I think the move stinks. I think it's terrible. I think, I think it's idiotic. Following that idiotic move, they signed an injury riddled, eleven year experienced center from the New York Giants. Sorry. DG, I don't mean to bash your Giants. It's actually a good move for you guys getting rid of them. 
But Sean O'Hara is now going to be playing center for the Dolphins. This, I think, is a bad move, too. The guy has just not been able to stay healthy. He's got bad knees. It's just not a good move. Um, Mark Colombo from Dallas to the Dolphins. Also, I don't think that that's a very good move. And last but not least, Jason Taylor has re-signed with the Dolphins for a third tour of duty. I don't really have a problem with this one because we know he's probably going to retire at the end of the year, and he should retire as a Dolphin. I mean, he made two plays for us last year, for God's sake, so he needed to get cut loose. Now, the biggest, to me, the most un, uh, the, the one that I really can't get my head around, Greg Olson from the Bears to the Panthers. What, wasn't this guy like their number one receiver last year? I mean, I know he's a tight end, but didn't he catch, like, the most passes from them last year? Why would you get rid of your number one receiver when the rest of your receiving core sucks? <laughs> they, can, they can jam Devin Hester down our throats all they want. He's not a wide receiver. He'll never be a wide receiver. That is just evident. Ruby is just fooling himself out there. Steve Smith will remain a Panther, which I thought was great for them because they need to uh, they need to give Cam some targets. If he's going to be at all successful there, they got to give him some targets. And also, to have a rookie quarterback be successful, you've got to have a good running game, which they will continue to at least attempt by re-signing D'Angelo Williams, five years, $43 million. That, I think, is a good move for my son's beloved Panthers. Sidney Rice joining the uh, Minnesota to Seattle exodus, agreeing to a, uh, a five-year, $41 million deal for the Seahawks. I thought that that was a really good move. I thought that uh, the Seahawks really, that was like their big move. I thought that that was really, really smart. Dante Stallworth to the Redskins, I thought that that was a really good move. I was curious about the Jabbar Gaffney one because he's, he's another one who's kind of getting a little long in the tooth. Brandon Stokely, I didn't really understand that one. And uh, Kelly Clements, New York Jet backup extraordinaire, is now a Washington Redskins. So if uh, John Beck doesn't work and Rex Grossman doesn't work, well, then there's always Kellen Clements. What an option. Oh, and they also <laughs> re-signed uh, Santana Moss. Some great moves down in uh, Redskin land. Can't wait to play them. The Titans agreed to a multi-year deal with former Seahawks quarterback Matt Hasselbeck. Matty, it's time to hang it up, buddy. I'll give you one more year, but I think you're done. I think you're done. Uh, Tommy Harris. Say that again? It's a finito. <laughs> Tommy Harris from the Bears signed a one-year deal with the Colts. Right, the Bears are coming, sir. I'd be out there on Monday. Hit me out. Gone! Gone! Where did they go? True story. So I think that Tommy Harris going from the Bears to the uh, to the Colts is a good move for him. But then again, going from the Bears to anybody would have been a good move. From Atlanta, also signs with the Colts. So they're definitely shoring up that defense in uh, I like turtles. In Indianapolis. That's what they need to. They Holmes is staying put with the New York Jets as they uh, sign their uh, their priority from, from free agency. 
Uh, Antonio Camardi managed uh, to get re-signed as well. Four years, $30 million. Plaxico Perez. High five is right. Plaxico Perez. A one-year deal worth $3.017 million. Fully guaranteed contracts. Hey, Ty, let me ask you a question. What do you think about that move as a Jets fan? Uh, The Plax move? Yeah. Uh, to me, it, there was there was three wide receiver choices that you had. You had Braylon Edwards, you had Santonio, uh, or you had uh, Randy Moss, and you had Plexico Barres. All three of these guys had the exact same issues. To me, I think it's a good move. You go with the tallest guy. If there's one thing I always like, it's a north of six four wide receiver. Now, I heard an interesting comment by um, by. Uh, uh, what's his name? Warren Sapp the other day saying that it doesn't matter how long he was in prison, you don't get any shorter in prison. Very true. <laughs> That's a good point. So uh, I, I think the Jets, I, I think they'll be fine. You know what I mean? For the most part, save like one receiver, the team is going to be pretty much the same. They managed to re sign Wayne Hunter. David Harris signed a long term contract today, so he's good to go. I'm ready to play. Let's go. I wish. Oh, I was thinking about you all day, Joe, because I wish we could have went out to practice today. I couldn't get there, though. I was tied up. No problem. We'll go, uh, you know, we'll go to a game this year. We'll enjoy the Super Bowl. You know, we're, we're definitely winning this thing. <laughs> we're behind Rex Ryan all the way. You make a dog sick. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, DG. <laughs> all right, so the Seahawks announced uh, Tuesday afternoon that they have reached an agreement and a reported five-year deal with Pro Bowl tight end Zach Miller. Oh, he's very nice. Jarius Norwood from Atlanta has also uh, signed uh, a deal with the, with the Rams. I suppose giving uh, Mr. Bradford another target is not a bad thing either, but I think he could have done a little better than that. And uh, to me, those are the biggest moves out there right now. One last question, Todd. Who would you say? I mean, it's uh, uh, an opinion, a question, but which team has be, uh, has made the best moves in the off season? That is an extremely polarizing question. A lot of people are saying already that the Patriots and the Eagles won the off season. Now, if there's one thing that you and I, as Jet fans, know that winning the off season is something that you can smile about now. But talk to me in December. Yep. Who do I think made the best moves? I can't argue with the Eagles. You, you, you can't argue with the moves that they made overall. Uh, outside of the Vince Young signing, I don't think that they made a single bad move. I don't think that they made a single questionable move. So I have to uh, tip my cap to Andy Reid. I live in Eagle country. God help me. So toast to them. <laughs> all right, Todd. I mean, that, that was a great job. I'm glad that we got all those updates out of the way. And uh, like you said, uh, Super Bowls are not won in the uh, in the off season, so we'll see what moves. I mean, I think the Jets. Uh, I know this is going to sound biased too, but I think the Jets um, got past the whole Nandi Asamoy thing, and they made their moves that they had. And they, they signed two receivers, one being you know Santonio Holmes, who they had last year. But they got Plasico, and they signed some key guys. I think that they're going to be all right. Cromartie's now a Jet. I mean. Cromartie and Awesome White, you know, you can't really compare them, but Cromartie's a decent cornerback. I mean, I'm glad they got him. I think he's better than decent. He's probably a better cornerback than he is a father or a provider for his 85 children. Cousin Mike. Cousin Mike. 
<laughs> well, let me say this. I mean, I the Asamoah awesome thing was was definitely intriguing, and every team was was definitely going to at least do their due diligence and say that they were interested. What really yep. aggravated me about the whole thing was the amount of time that this thing took. You know, I mean, <clears throat> they should have said to him, okay, here's the deal. This is when you have to let us know by. And if not, yeah, we're done. And because we didn't do something like that, I think that maybe we might have overpaid for Camardi. But, you know, the rumors on uh, on Twitter are that the Jets right now are between 8 and $10 million under the cap. So expect one more move. Yeah. And you know what the Jets showed, Todd, more than anything? What's that? Some guts. Have some guts. Show some there guts. Go. Gut him. <laughs> Todd, as always, a pleasure. Yours, of course. Mine, of course. <laughs> Obviously. We appreciate you coming on and giving us every update in the history of football. It's really, uh, really good that we got all that stuff out of the way. I appreciate it. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, Todd, have a wonderful evening. Thank you, guys. Later, sir. Folks, that was the one and only Todd Downstone joining us. And uh, Todd's the man. What can I say? You know, DG, um, since we, we uh, Todd did give us all the updates on the NFL comings and goings and all the signings, we might as well just talk about the local teams. I mean, the Jets have been making move after move after move after move, DG, and the Giants just sit still. I mean, they signed him on Bradshaw, but they're – I mean – do, are, are they having salary cap problems or something? They're not signing anyone. Well, truthfully, yeah, they, they did sign Bradshaw. And on a side note, I was listening to Boomer Carton yesterday, and they were talking to Jerry Reese. And what I find interesting about having these guys on the show is they never say anything. There's literally never anything. Like, well, we can't comment on that. I can't comment on that. Well, you know, we put our best offer up, but what can I say? Well, I'd rather not talk about OCM in Europe. I'd rather not talk about this. So what would you like to talk about, Jerry? Would you like to come on this show and, and not answer any questions? Because we'd love to have you on. Um he said they had some offers on the table for several players, and, you know, we'll see what happens. It seems they got Kimanuka back in the fold. Um, we're still waiting on Steve Smith. And, uh, you know, Ahmad Bradshaw signed, so that's a good move, obviously, definitely. What I want to know, sir, who in the world gets a tattoo of their initials on their arms? Because uh, he's getting an A and a B, unless he means A-arm and B-arm, you know, or arm and, and, and bicep. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, kind of odd, sir. Kind, kind of odd. <laughs> kind of odd. Let me ask you as a giant fan though, how frustrating it is how frustrating is it to see somebody like OC have a two year contract, not want to play up to his contract? Let I mean, if you're the giant a giant fan, you must be like, Come on, you have a two year contract, play already. You know, a good point was made yesterday. I forget what show I was listening to. It may have been Evan and Joe and uh I'm I'm not really sure, but the fact of the matter is no, I'm sorry, it was Boomer Carton, maybe it was this morning, I uh, I can't remember. But the fact is that when he was injured in 08, the Giants didn't cut him. They didn't release him. They brought him back. They still paid him. So what bothers me as a fan, and I understand the, you know, the boomer assassin mentality, and obviously he's an ex-football player, that, you know what, you got to make your money while you can. I understand that. I'm not trying to begrudge these guys. But the truth of the matter is, as a fan, it's kind of frustrating because you're signed to a contract. I can't just walk into my job tomorrow and tell my boss, hey, look, I want to get paid more money, and if not, then I walk. Well, you know what? See ya. Don't door hit you with a good Lord split you. The fact is that... These guys are under contract, and when 
as, as a huge baseball fan like I am, I wish baseball was like football where guys could just say, you know, I want a different contract. You know what? I, we're, we're not going to pay, pay you. We're just going to cut you, and you got your guaranteed money. You're done. Yeah, it goes against our salary cap, but you know what? I don't care. And that's what bugs me as a football fan. These guys signed the contract, and now they think they're worth more, so they want more money. But then when they suck, don't tell me that they're going to go to the, the manager and say, you know, I didn't have a good year this year. Let me take a pay cut. Good point, DJ. I mean, like you said, they didn't cut OC in 08. But, I mean, he wants to be traded. There are a couple. There's like, what, five teams that are interested in him right now? Yeah, I believe the uh, the Seahawks are one of the teams. I was actually looking at the list before. Um, maybe the Broncos as well. Uh, there, there was three other teams, but the fact is that the Giants' asking price of uh, first-round draft pick seems to be too high, and the fact that he wants to renew his deals, a lot of teams are staying away from that there. And then, yeah, no, you have the New York Jets said, I think, like I said to Todd, that um, they really wanted this guy, Nandi Asamwai, opposite Darrell Revis, and they didn't get him, and they were like, you know, they compared it to, like, Cliff Lee going to the Philadelphia Phillies when the, the Yankees wanted him. But, like, you know, I think the Jets would have been great with him, but I think having Cromartie on the team is good again. for They locked him up for four years, $32 million. They got a big receiver. They've filled their needs. The only thing I must say, DJ, and I know it, this is hard to say, too, but when I look at their schedule this year, it is brutal. I mean, really brutal. You told me off the other, you thought they were going to go 9-7. and seven. You still stand by that? I, I think if they get through the first five weeks, they could go do a little better, but... They have two home games. You know, they start off with Dallas, which I think they should be on 9-11 Sunday night. Then they play Jacksonville. But then the next three games are on the road. Um, I don't know which exact order. I think it's the Patriots, uh, Oakland, and one other team on the road. The Somerset Patriots? Yes, them. But um, if they could get through that, that first part of the schedule, um, I don't know, 4-1, and 3-2, and two, maybe they'll do a little bit better than 9-7. Oh, <laughs> Let's hope not season over. But, you know, it's... Obviously, definitely, maybe, when you have an owner, uh, not an owner, a head coach like Rex Ryan, who's very outgoing and says things like, we're going to win the Super Bowl, we're the team to be. Obviously, definitely, maybe, uh, every other team hates uh, the Jets and that they create more heat. And the Jet fans, the Jet fans, I've, I, I don't know if you tweeted, I think you did tweet, and I replied to it. Somebody asked, who, what fans are worse, Jet fans or Yankee fans? And I said, believe it no, or not, Dominic, I said, actually. yeah, Dominic might have been. I actually said that the Jet fans in person are worse. <laughs> I mean, they threw stuff at my wife, who's a San Francisco 49er fan. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. I had to get out of there by the third quarter. They were throwing so many different things at her because she had a San Francisco 49er jacket on. That I was like, are you kidding me? It's, it's a lady. You shouldn't be throwing anything at anybody. But especially a girl that comes to a football game and roots for her team. Give me a break, Jet fans. That, that annoyed me, DJ. Were you one of the Jet fans throwing stuff at her? Actually, I was. <laughs> Any other football talks here before we close up the show? No, that, that's it for football talk. I mean, hopefully um, hopefully the football season gets here quicker than, than ever because, DJ, let's face it, the training deadline was for baseball was the 31st, and the Mets made no other real moves other than uh, trading Beltran and K-Rod, and, they, and then the Yankees stood pat, so... For all intents and purposes, the baseball season as a Met fan is over. Enough is enough. And you're right. Unless we get uh, you know, Mike Piazza or some other guests on here, I doubt that we're going to be talking much uh, much Mets baseball. But um, let's shift gears here if we can. Let's to the WWE. Now, I know you and I have talked about this, but truthfully, the opening and closing of the shows are the only things really interesting. Um, last night on Raw, that was pretty much the only things that were of note. So we can pretty much skip the rest. 
Great opening promo back and forth with Punk and Triple H. Uh, although Cena really should have been there, let's be honest. It was a good back and forth between those two, I felt. I loved when Punk did the old Hunter Hearst Helmsley taunt. And, of course, he was shot right back when Hunter called him overrated and um, buying into his own hype and whatnot. Some real good stuff, although I differ from many people, and I'm not sure where you stand on this show, so you can not throw your, your take in there. I really don't want to see Triple H or Punk in a wrestling capacity. It looks like they're going to be heading off, uh, you know, in that direction in the not-too-distant future, probably at Survivor Series. But, uh, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with you. Um, I, it, maybe it's it's a weird comparison, but I compare it to almost like Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, they fought each other, but usually it was a gimmicky match. And I don't think Triple H, if, it, if he's really going to be serious about this role as the CEO of the WWE now, there's no way that he needs to step in the ring again and face Punk. I mean... They could go so many different ways. Uh, even announcing the main event for SummerSlam being the one-on-one and how you said last week uh, a triple threat might be better just to continue this feud uh, a little bit longer uh, would have been the better route, I think, especially since SummerSlam is only two weeks away, less than two weeks away. The triple threat made more sense, so I definitely don't like the route that they're going, and I hope that Triple H will not be facing Punk, and I hope it's not for the WWE title. Yeah, I definitely don't want to see that. I heard that there was a possibility of them fighting at WrestleMania, but that to me is something I don't want to see. Um, if anything, you know, if, if they do fight at Survivor Series, that would be a nice match to help headline the pay-per-view, even though neither one of us is looking forward to it. But, you know, Triple H can still go, so it won't be it won't be horrible. It really won't be Austin McMahon, because you've actually got two guys who can really wrestle, you know, who can work. Um, you were saying this, though, which I found interesting. But your idea would be, of course, Punk fighting someone else and Triple H... Uh, screwing them out of the title, sort of like a corporate champ. And my suggestion to that, I think, and I know David LeGreco would disagree with this because how much he dislikes this man I'm about to mention, but um, I'd say the Miz would be the perfect choice as a corporate champion if they went that route because, truthfully, you know, the Miz is like the corporate guy. The Miz is the type of guy who the WWE is grooming to be like their next big thing, as it were. And he may not have to look per se, but he does all the media, he does all the events. He'd be perfect as a corporate champion type of guy. No, I agree with you. And, you know, Miz along with many mid-card guys, DG, are just so underutilized. Um, even with the brand extension, you would think that these mid-cards would be, you know, more mid-cards would make it to the main event stats, but there's still that invisible ceiling, DG, that it seems like these guys cannot get through. And when they do get through, they get shoved right back down to the mid-card after their first title reign or, or second title reign. Look at Sheamus, who's just trying to make it back now. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, hopefully the, the WWE will to kind of get that whole thing strained out where the guys don't become a full form on top of that. But that's obviously why I don't want Punk to, you know, lose his title at SummerSlam. You know, as we move on to the end of the show, we have Triple H come out and, you know, make his big announcement. And then he gets interrupted by Mr. John Laurinaitis. And Cena interrupts and he goes back and forth with Mr. John Laurinaitis until he scares him off. That's a nice imitation of him, by the way. Good impression. Um, then, of course, out comes Punk to chime in. And, you know, ultimately, Triple H said that there's going to be a champion versus championship match at SummerSlam to crown an undisputed champion. Now, Joe, I'm sure you thought this way, but that statement gives me some hope that there is a chance that, A, the undisputed title will come back, or, B, there's going to be a brand new belt the day after SummerSlam or possibly even at SummerSlam to crown the new champion. I hope that is true because, you know, and we both, like, hate that bling belt with a passion, but... Hopefully, when he said undisputed, that's what I started thinking about DG. The only thing I didn't like at the end was, like, it's, it felt, like, too childish to have Punk raise the belt and play his music. C- 
Cena, you know, raises his belt and plays his music, and it went back and forth, back and forth, and that's how they cut the show out on Monday Night Raw last night. I just think that was a little weird. Well, you know, it, it got the point over. We'll see that two champions have the, comp- the competition going. The crowd stunk last night, by the way. I just have to throw that out there. I thought they were terrible. They did a terrible job when guys come out. They weren't popping. They just weren't into the show for whatever reason. I know it's the home of uh, Mr. Peyton Manning, my favorite football player, but uh, definitely not a fan of that. Truthfully, though, you know, we talked about this last week. If they had made the new title, which, of course, you both won a new title, it would have made no sense at the at the tournament because, you know, Punk would have come back with the old title, and then you have the new title. So it makes sense that they're going to do champion versus champion. Then at SummerSlam, or after SummerSlam, the day after, to start the Triple H era off right, they have a brand-new belt. So I'm looking forward to see uh, where that goes there. And we could talk about this next week and the following week, but um – it would be the wrong move, wrong decision by WWE to build this whole thing up with Punk and Triple H and have you know Cena in the mix. But to have, I hope, I really hope that Cena does not win the title at SummerSlam, and then just like I think that everything gets ruined. The three, the two or three months that they've been working up to this would be like just thrown out the guard, thrown away. I just don't think it's the right move for John Cena to win the title at SummerSlam. I absolutely agree. I was listening to Justin LaBar's show today on Triple F Radio, and he was saying that he thinks that Cena's going to win. And I I tweeted, of course, that I completely disagree with him. I think it would be a horrible move. I agree with you. I think it would be a train wreck if if Cena somehow won because it really kills the credibility. It kills the whole, the WWE is different. I'm going to make this whole thing fun again. Apparently, uh, Colt Cabana was working a dark match tonight, so it looks like he might be back in the WWE, possibly as Colt Cabana as opposed to Scotty Goldman. But it uh, looks like Punk has more influence than we think, and he needs to win. He needs to go over whether it's a hose job. Hopefully not, because it needs to be clean, in my opinion. But Punk needs to walk out with the championship. He needs to walk out uh, with a new belt, you know, the next night. It just needs to be the era of Punk and just, just let it be. You know, and, and that's basically to another point. You know, this is Cena-related, but you have the whole Cena versus Rock situation, right? First off, I mean, does anybody care about this feud that's going to still be like eight months away? Rock isn't appearing on pay-per-views. He's not going to appear for another three months until the Survivor Series. So, you know, they're trying to make a match work. It was booked a year in advance, which is just a horrible idea. Really never been done before. They really should have started this angle for him and The Rock a few weeks earlier, and it should have happened at this past WrestleMania. And don't tell me that it couldn't have happened because it could have. They could have easily had a match, and people would have bought it if Rock was in shape. Instead of saying, I'll see you next year at next WrestleMania, why didn't he say, I'll see you at WrestleMania 30 or I'll see you at WrestleMania 40? Like, who cares? But the problem with that whole situation is the WWE has painted themselves into a corner because right now Punk is the man. Punk is the guy that Rock should be facing, not Cena. And if ultimately Rock and Cena do go head-to-head, a back-to-back and a belly-to-belly, it can't be for the title because that would suck. It's like the WWE just truly, like I said, painted themselves into a corner, sir. They really did. I mean, we actually talked about this um at this year's WrestleMania, we talked about how Cena's opponent should have been Undertaker because it's the undefeated streak versus Superman, yeah. the modern day the modern day Hulk Hogan, right? And that would have been a great match to have Rock and definitely and Cena one year later. I, I don't understand. They were trying something different. Who knows? I don't think you know the build up for it has been okay. Um, you know, you have these pauses and these lulls in between. It's like weird. So I, I don't know the purpose of it, to be honest with you, DG. So you're right. I think Punk versus... Um, Punk versus Rock? Punk versus Rock would have made more sense. <laughs> yeah. It looks like you have a little, a little temporary brain lapse there, sir. But you're right. It would make more sense. So it should have been booked that way. But apparently it looks like they may be looking at uh, Punk versus Jericho. I know you wanted to see Ms. Jericho. But uh, Jericho shot back an in-character tweet. 
um, with some inappropriate language, uh, by the way, saying that he didn't give a you know he didn't give a, a shoot about um, anything said. He didn't care about anything that uh, Punk was saying because he was mentioned in the promo last night about you know letting a talented person go. But we'll, we'll see where that goes, folks. Um, and I did say shoot, S H O O T, not uh, another word. Just uh, for those of you out there. Um, you know, but we'll see where this whole situation goes. I, I don't want to see Triple H Punk, but, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens at SummerSlam. It might be another pay-per-view that I order. We'll see where that goes. But let's shift over to SmackDown for a couple of notes that I wanted to touch on. First of all, and I guess least important in my eyes, Christian, will he leave SummerSlam as the World Heavyweight Champion, or will Randy scum or in win it back, sir? Uh, we can talk about this in the next couple weeks, too, but it'd be the wrong move to take the belt off Christian again. There are many people, and I don't know why, DG, that don't think that Christian is a good world heavyweight champion, not charismatic enough, not good on the mic. I think, I don't know what they're looking at. And then they then they talk about how Randy Orton is that. I mean, I still think we're living in a bizarre world where we're the only ones that see the true Randy Orton. He's not as good as Christian. And, and people might think that I'm nuts for saying that, but Randy Orton is not as good as Christian on the mic. Not even close. He's horrible on the mic. And you know what? Um, as I look here, Zach Wheeler, apparently, instead of practicing for baseball, he's watching the town. <laughs> I don't know what's up with this guy. But uh, aside from that, you know, I listened to Busted Open, one of my favorite shows. And uh, I love Dave and uh, and Doug, but my Doug's a friend of the show. Uh, we've mentioned Dave's going to be on. But, man, I totally disagree with them. They talk about how Christian is just not that good on the microphone, but somehow Orton is good. I mean, I know... Dave says he stinks, and, and Doug likes him a little bit more. But I, uh, we both loathe Orton, and we're both Christian fans. So I, I don't I don't agree with anything that they've said in terms of the whole Christian thing. I think he can carry the feud. I think he does a good job. I think he is uh, that that darn good. And uh, you know, truthfully, I would love to see I would love to see what happens, sir, uh, with this whole feud. But you know, they they kind of need to end it. People are getting tired of it. They're getting tired of the whole. Um, situation, the fact you have the same two guys fighting all the time, so I hope and I absolutely hope that the WWE does the right thing, keeps the belt on Christian, moves Orton on to a separate feud to someone like, let's say, Mark Henry, who's plowing through people. And speaking of Mark Henry, let's talk about the one and only uh, Sheamus. It looks like they're going to be feuding, and uh, truthfully, sir, I'm I'm interested because it looks like Sheamus has officially gone face, sir. I'm a big fan of Sheamus, as you know. I think he's got the size, he's got the look, he's got the goods to really carry it. He's good on the microphone. Give me your thoughts on that, sir. Sheamus is a guy that we were mentioning before. Is like he was uh, basically a mid-card mate to the WWE Championship, won it, has been a two-time WWE Champion, and now they're trying him out as a face. I don't really know what to feel about. I haven't really thought about DG. I guess you can make him into a face, but, I mean, he's got to be more charismatic. Maybe he has been. I haven't been watching SmackDown, to be honest with you. Let's just hope that if he is going to be a face, he gets the, the, the right push and, and, and isn't pushed back to mid-card again. I mean, you got to book this guy the right way. I agree with that. And speaking of being booked the right way, we have uh, joining us Pyro Falcon. Pyro, uh, you'd like to chime in on this, sir? Yeah, I just wanted to mention real quick, since you were discussing uh, Randy Orton and Christian, that um, there was only one of those two men that you named who wound up getting face-planted by an announcer's table two weeks ago, and uh, it wasn't the Canadian. So, you know, just for those people who are saying that Orton is somehow better than Christian, I don't think Christian's ever gotten an implant face buster from an inanimate object before. 
Um, let me ask you about the Seamus face turn situation. Uh, we'll get back to Christian in a second. What do you think about it? I know you, you wrote about it over on Online Onslaught. Yeah, I don't know. Seamus, Seamus has always given this impression that he can't be anything but a heel. But, you know, like I mentioned in the recap um, for on, on OnlineOnslaught.com, by the way, everyone should go visit that. <clears throat> um, other, what I wrote there... Wade Barrett did a uh, an out of character interview, and he mentioned that Seamus um, is brilliant as a face. And um, Rick Skaya, the webmaster of OO, apparently agrees and said that whatever he did as a face was really popular going through the FCW and all that th- all that stuff. So you know, I-, I don't know about it. I think it's kind of weird, especially that you know he's turning face against Mark Henry. I never thought Mark Henry was over enough to be. To, to, you know, turn someone. I mean, the the way it looks like if I stood up to Mark Henry, I would be turned face, which makes no sense. So, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I, I'm willing to give WWE the benefit of the doubt, uh, and especially with Sheamus because we've never seen him as a face. So, you know, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until he starts doing face things. I just don't see how it'll work. I figure he's too big and too much of a monster guy to really pull it off right, but I've been well, surprised I think- before. I think that if they book it properly and he just stomps people, he can be a face. You know, it's just the type of promos that he cuts. I mean, I'm a big Seamus fan. I'm hoping that he, he does do this face turn and pulls it off, you know, because the truth of the matter is that it, I think it can work. And Mark Henry just destroyed two monster guys. So if Seamus can stop him, that's obviously a big push. But I, I think that they need to shift their focus. Sheamus needs to be faced to go against Christian. And then, you know, Orton can be tied up for the next eight months fighting on Mark Henry. Or anyone except playing with the main event. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I'd like to see Seamus, uh, you know, get a nice face title run or two, see how he handles things, and something lengthy, not like the crappy title runs that he got with the WWE late last year. But apparently, when he was in FCW and in the in the Indies, he was a pretty good face, and the fans really bought into it. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm really curious to see it because I never struck the guy. In fact, even when I read that Wade Barrett inter- interview, I'm like, Seamus, really? A face that just doesn't make really? any sense to me. I think yeah, what they could, I think that we could, what they could have done with Sheamus. I don't know if DG is thinking about this subconsciously, but he's got the build of a Goldberg, and if if they wanted to book Sheamus the right way in the beginning, they should have made him a face to get from the get go. Have this have this huge undefeated streak, and then eventually lose somehow, and then turn heel. I, I think going the opposite way from from heel to face is not the right move for Sheamus. Right, I agree. But, you know, like I said, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I I always try to err on the side of, um, uh, I don't know, I guess suspending my disbelief, giving the benefit of the doubt. I'm eternally optimistic for WWE, even though I have no reason to be. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, let me ask you this, Pyro. Any thoughts on the uh, Punk situation? I really don't have thoughts. Um, it's, I'm sort of just enjoying the ride rather than overthinking it. But I do agree with you, DG, that um, they they really need to keep the title on Punk rather than giving it back to Cena. I mean, you know, the the classic story has always been the face should chase the title, and Punk is clearly a face at this point. But I don't know. It, we've had enough of Cena as champion. And even if Punk continues to be brilliant on the microphone and talk about how you know, it's become the same old, same old because Cena wins the belt or whatever. I don't think anyone wants to hear that. You know, just get get the belt off Cena, let him go play with somebody else, and let's bring some fresh blood and some fresh challenges and fresh 
stories in the WWE, and it might actually become fun again, like he said. Yeah, I mean, if he uh, if he loses right back to Cena, I think that Joe and I are definitely going to riot. Joe is actually saying he might boycott the the whole situation. Are you still standing by that, sir? I will boycott. That's awesome. <laughs> we need more people to boycott the thing if they're doing a crap job. That's the problem. That's why WWE's gotten into the situation because you know they they turn out crap, but you know the the dumber fans still go, and the smarter fans just buy the DVD sets that always come out because they're good. And you know WWE thinks they can do no wrong all of a sudden. Or well, the smarter fans will just get Netflix, and you can see all that for free anyway. Just pay eight bucks a month, and you can watch basically any of those DVD sets. As I've uh, point. come to, I've come to notice. Now, let me ask you this: What do you think about the other topic that we discussed about the whole Rock Cena situation and how WWE really hosed themselves and painted themselves into a mighty tricky corner by doing the whole year booking in advance? And it just doesn't seem to go now in a route where. I don't even know why Rock and Cena would fight at this point, personally. Yeah, I agree. Plus, um, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw, but during um, CM Punk's uh, vacation, I guess, um, or was it just before, and I'm forgetting, but anyway, Rock actually did cut a promo on John Cena and put it on YouTube. And it, it was that was supposed great. To be, yeah, it's, I thought it was actually stupid, and I'm one of the Rock's biggest fans, and I thought that whole thing was stupid. Because it's like, he, he spoke so irrelevantly about, um, you know, what the current state of WWE is and his role in WWE. I mean, like, in there I remember he said something about, just because I say I'm back doesn't mean I have to show up to every show. And I, I'm okay with that. But then he starts flipping out about John Cena's pushing the issue and now they're going to meet before WrestleMania to do something. And I don't know. Just the whole thing sounds really stupid to me. Um but I totally agree with you. You know what they could do, or what I think they probably should do, is let Rock and Cena have their match at Survivor Series or whatever, and then put Punk versus Rock at WrestleMania. Probably more people would respond to that anyway. I totally agree with that. And no, we may disagree on the whole promo situation. I just enjoyed it because Rock was ripping Cena a new one, which is always a plus. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, we'll I see agree where that, that goes. Joe, you still alive over there? I'm still alive. Uh, Pyro, uh, like like DG said, I think they painted themselves into a tricky corner. And, um, you know, to wait a year for this match, I mean, we knew from the get-go that this was the wrong move. And now, you know, with this whole punk development uh, and Triple H being the CEO, the COO of the WWE, it just it makes it even, like, less interesting to... It's like, you know, Rock and Cena are going to fight at WrestleMania. I mean, what, what's the point at this point? Other than putting butts in the seats, I don't really think there is a point. I mean, you know, and that's all it is. It, it's Cena and Rock, and it started with them arguing, and that would have been great if they had actually had the match at WrestleMania. Right. Nobody cares. You know, it, it's, it's, it's clearly water under the bridge. There's no more heat. It's just an exercise of getting people in the seats. I mean, on the other hand, it is still, what, nine months away, so maybe they can pull something out of their butts and, uh, you know, make a... <laughs> yeah, try to get some sort of uh, uh, heat added, but I don't know. It's it's dumb. I'm done. I'm done with Rock. Yeah, I, I've gotten off the of, Rock train. 
<laughs> Speaking of done, I, I think that for this evening we're we're done with this uh you know whole rock scene uh, punk conversation. But Pyro, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes, and uh, you know hopefully we'll be able to have you on soon, if not next week, then the following after SummerSlam to give us your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm still not even sure if I'm going to watch SummerSlam. I'm dropping money on UFC 133 this week, so I may not have any cash left over, but we'll see. <laughs> Sir, we appreciate you uh, coming on as always. All right, take care, guys. Take care, Pyro. Folks, that was the one and only Pyro Falcon, and as we wrap this show up, um, I'll get a little more into this on Thursday because uh, you know I think it's time to to bring this bad boy to a close. But check out PureGoPG.com. I want you to see the, the last post. I want you to see what Bright Lights Jarrett Foster decided to post about us. And uh, going into this, this Saturday's uh, last event, where unfortunately Flex Freeman was screwed out of the IWF American champion. He was defeated by German menace Craig Stagg, with, of course, yours truly, Larry Lawson, uh, the great one. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> you right there, sir? Uh, you know, I, I can't get into this right now because, like I said, we're getting the we're getting the time. It's, it's time to wrap this up. But on Thursday, after we have Greg Giannotti join us, we'll discuss this more in depth. Uh, you know, there's definitely some responses need to be made to Mr. Bright Lights and, of course, Larry Lawson. And, uh, you know, Flex, we're, we're hoping, you know, you'll be able to lay the smackdown on these fools and get your title back so you can once again be a dual champion. But I digress. Folks, we appreciate you uh, checking in with us today. Of course, we appreciate Neil Best joining us. Great interview. We a little bit different than our normal sports interviews, so we we you know we uh, gotta love Neil. Absolutely gotta love him. Like I said on Thursday, we're gonna have Greg Giannotti, former member of WFAN, uh, producer over with uh, Joe and Evan. And folks, we have a lot of exciting guests coming up, so please continue to stay tuned in. Check us out again at our Twitter, our Facebook. PureGoPG.com, and of course the call-in number as always, 714-364-4721. Once again, 714-364-4721. And of course we thank Pyro for joining us this evening. Joe, any thoughts uh, before we close out? No, great show, DG. Covered a lot. Neil Best was one of the best interviews, I must say. The best. (laughs) Okay, the best. Always welcome back on the PG. It was definitely pure gold. And uh, thanks, Todd, for all those updates, NFL comings and goings, and Pyro, thanks for your update, for your take on the WWE current status. That's a wrap. Yeah, that's definitely a wrap. I'd like to just thank everyone again. We appreciate you as callers, and we appreciate everybody for joining us. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold, reminding you folks to always keep it PG. Good night, everyone, and remember Thursday, Pure Gold Extra.